Welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach. Together, we're going to explore lessons to help us live well. Let the learning begin. In this episode, I chat with mindset and business coach Katrina Myers. Katrina lives on her family avocado farm in Barham, New South Wales, with her husband Tim and four children. Katrina is passionate about helping others to create a life and business that lights them up from the inside out. A heads up, we will be discussing suicide, and if you'd like to process this further, you can call Lifeline Australia 13 11 14. In this conversation, Katrina shares the well-being practices that have transformed her life, how her beautiful father died by suicide when she was 15, and how she didn't really start to process the loss and grief until years later, how she was living in a state of stress and overwhelmed until a friend said it's time to make a change, and how she went from being unable to sit still to now sitting twice a day for 20 minutes to meditate. The audio is a little tricky to hear at times, but stick with it because Katrina has so much gold to share. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the rural rock star, Katrina Myers. Katrina, welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. Oh, hello, Meg. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. I am so excited. I feel like when the two of us get together, it's like two naughty Jack Russells off an adventure and I cannot wait to see what we come up with today. Yes, I love when you say that. I love that we're naughty little Jack Russells. (laughs) (laughs) Off having an adventure in life. and (laughs) Katrina has had such an impact on my life and has really encouraged me to constantly step outside my comfort zone and I thought, Why not share Katrina's story? Her story is one of overcoming struggle and turning it into a strength and helping others do the same. So, Katrina, how did it all begin? Could you take us back to the start? (laughs) How did my well-being journey begin? I guess you want me to talk about, Meg, not not from being born or from where my well-being journey started. Well, let's start about just a general growing up, what was life life for you? Yeah. Okay. So I had a I had a great childhood really. We grew up on a farm. So Tim and I now my Tim's my husband and we now live on the farm where I grew up, which is a beautiful, beautiful farm really. It's um on near the Murray River in a just outside a little town called Barham. And growing up we farmed beef and had a bit of lucerne. It was a mixed enterprise farm and it was a wonderful, wonderful childhood. It was beautiful. Um and I guess my well-being journey really I guess this was kind of the this was the big event in my life that has caused me to be so passionate about well-being now. And at the age of 15, as some of your listeners may know, I lost my beautiful dad to suicide, which was, you know, none other than a life-changing moment really, and it's and it has shaped and formed and yeah, created my life in so many ways impacted and affected my life in in all ways really it's 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 been you know a massive part of my journey and for a long time I didn't kind of realize how significant it was I think I tried to just push it down block it away carry on like life was normal Uh, you know kind of went when I was at boarding school when it happened and I went back to boarding school and just carried on like nothing had happened went through my early early sort of uni and early adulthood just unconscious blindly going through life nothing was like 
majorly wrong. I was kind of coasting through, but it was like I, was, I, I describe it now as I was unconscious. And I think you talk about it, Meg, as you're like living life with the lights off kind of thing. <laughs> and, you know, like you just, yeah, it's like I was unconscious to what was really going on in the world and what was really going on with me. And I was just, yeah, masking things, blocking things, carrying on and pretending like everything was fine. But, you know, also had kind of a relatively normal life. I had a dodgy boyfriend in my early adulthood, which I now realise was actually a whole, like, you know, yearning for someone to love me. But so I put up with all of his nonsense and, like, terrible behaviour, really, just because I was just so desperate to be loved, which I now know in hindsight, which is the beauty of hindsight. Uh, But then I met Tim, you know, when I was early 20s and he's like the best thing ever I just adore him so much and I still absolutely adore him and you know just he's just like the best you know so sometimes I think if I hadn't had that awful relationship I wouldn't know what a good one was so anyway and then carried on kind of you know we've traveled overseas and we lived in London for a couple of years we lived in Bangkok for a year we had a great time like really good times and then it wasn't actually until Looking back, it was actually after my first child, Daisy, when I was 30, no, I was 28, I think, when I had Days. And I just, you know, I didn't love motherhood. Like I struggled. I really struggled. I found it really hard. And I wasn't prepared at all. And I didn't know that I was going to find it so hard. And it's like there's something about that becoming a mother and all of a sudden having someone else to think about and someone else to focus on and this whole other, like the tiredness and, the, you know, so much comes to the surface. But again, kind of just carried on unconsciously thinking, oh, well, this is just kind of how it is. And, you know, got then I had second baby and then I got super busy and just like was just flat out with we moved, we moved back to our farm then and I got really busy with the farm business and I took on all these community things. It's just like go, 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 go. Like I, don't, I can't even remember Jester as a baby, honestly. Like they were quite, quite close together. It was just so hectic. I was just rush, 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 overwhelmed, busy, just, you know, in that cycle of wake up, go, 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 repeat, go to sleep, repeat, you know. I also had this really challenging friendship, which I'd been in for about probably 10 years, which was all-consuming as well, and I really struggled with it. It was very overwhelming in my mind. And so then after I had our third baby, for some reason, this was when the wheels really came off and I really had this, like, well, it was actually a friend who I think this was the, and I don't know why this was the final straw or the catalyst or the, cat, the straw that broke the camel's back or, but she basically just, because I, I think probably other people had tried to talk to me about it, but I, I wasn't ready or it wasn't the right timing or something. And this friend said to me, like, you really need to sort your, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but your shit it. out. <laughs> you know? And and it was it was in a, there was something about the way she said it and something about the events that led up to that that was just the, the trigger. And I was like, right, okay, this is, yeah, I really have to do something. I can't go on like this. It's, it's you know, I'm consumed by this challenging friendship. I'm not being my best self. I've got all these kids now that I really want to be a good role model for. I don't want this to be the way I live my life. Plus, I was actually feeling pretty down and I was like, I don't want to go the same way as dad. Like I had that in the back of my mind. Like I really need to take some action here. So that was the kind of the first step of me then going and getting, getting, seeing a therapist. I started meditating. I started learning what you could do. The therapist started teaching me things. It's like, oh, my gosh, there's this whole world of, like, well-being stuff. I didn't know that you could actually look after your mind and your brain and your well-being. Why didn't anyone tell me? <laughs> and, and I was like, 
I had this belief because dad had taken his life. I'd sort of been told, and I think it was mum's belief and that people, like it was just like, oh, there's nothing you could do. He was depressed. It was a chemical imbalance. That was it. There was nothing we could have done. And, you know, in some ways he would never have been the same if he'd stayed alive anyway. That was what I was told. So to realise that, oh, my gosh, there is actually all this stuff that we can do to prevent ourselves getting depressed, to recover from depression, to live good lives, to feel good about ourselves. It was just like this, like, wow. And so since then, that was about, well, Poppy's now nearly eight. I have basically made it my lifelong passion to do everything I can to live my best life and to feel good about myself and to enjoy life and to maintain my mental health and well-being. And and Meg, you have been a big part of that journey. I remember you came into my life kind of a couple of years into my journey maybe when I was like, and it was sort of like no one else, does anyone else think like this? Does anyone else know this stuff? And you you came and I saw you do this talk and I was like, oh, Meg, you're, just, you're speaking my language. And I remember I rang you after that talk and I was just like, can we connect? Can I just talk to you? Because... I just wanted to like speak to someone else who was on this journey and then turns out there's like a whole world of people that are into well-being and it just you know it's been beautiful ever since and and now you and I have this wonderful relationship where we talk about well-being and life and the ups and downs and change and all this stuff all the time and it's now what lights me up and and I can honestly say I now live a really really great life that I love and I you know feel excited to wake up every day and it's it's awesome so, and now I teach others and I want to show others and, you know, help people their best lives because it's just like you can do it too. So it's so good. So that's where I am now. That is just <laughs> that's a long story. Such, and a magic story. Uh, I think what you have covered in that short period of time is just so powerful for people, you know, to think that you've had an experience in your teenage years of a father passing away in a way that's really hard to understand you know for a lot of us we still have our parents here you know we haven't experienced that you know to experience that as a teenager and then to go back to boarding school and try and feel like you know life's just okay that's done we'll just try and get back to life and just trying to function with when things have changed so much for you and then interesting enough it's not until you had your third child where it all came to the surface. And I find that really fascinating because that whole thing, what we resist, persists. So sometimes Mm -hmm. things pop up in our life and we're not in a stage that we're able to deal with it, but it does eventually pop up. And it's amazing for you that's your, you know, you're having your third child and thinking, wow, (laughs) I just can't, can't keep running. And then having that courage to lean into the learning, to lean into the growth, because I'm guessing it would have also been quite confronting to find out there's this whole other way of being. Yeah, it was confronting, but it was also refreshing for me because it was a relief, you know, because like I said to you, I had this belief that, you know, that you, you, there was nothing you could do. It was just luck. If you got depressed or you didn't, it was luck, it was luck of the draw. If you just, if you managed to get through life feeling good, it was just purely based on luck. So when I realised that there was actually something that I could do to change that and to take control and to take responsibility, it was actually really empowering for me and really refreshing because I think when when you have seen the darkest, darkest side of depression and you've lost a parent to suicide, then 
to realise that it doesn't have to be like that is, yes, on the one hand confronting because it's like dad didn't have to go that way and I know that now. But at the same time, it's extremely empowering. And so I was just like, oh, thank goodness, you know, I can do something. And it, and it really gave me a new a new purpose and a new direction and a new, like, way of being. And I did not find it kind of, I mean, as, as uncomfortable as it has been, I think you're right. Like, it's very uncomfortable and there's a lot of growth and a lot of learning at every different stage, but it was also overarching. It was like, okay, cool. There is a way that I can make sure and I can you know, give myself the best chance and work towards living a big full life that's joyful. And and that, that, that didn't come straight away, though, I have to say. That's evolved over time, that realisation. Initially, it was just like, oh, cool, I can I can, I can, can function. I can stop being so busy. And it was just, just the tiny things like, oh, maybe I can stop yelling at the kids so much or maybe I can actually enjoy being around my kids or, you know, the smallest things. Oh, hang on. oh, maybe I don't have to do all this stuff. Maybe I can say no to a few of the committees I'm on. Like it was very small things to start with and then it's built up to being like, oh, maybe I can live a really good life. Cool. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe I can pack up the kids and go go around Australia or start a podcast with all these incredible things that yeah. you're doing. And I love what you say there, Katrina, is that it didn't start out where you are now. You know, it has been a journey and it's been a process. And I also love that what you've highlighted for us is those little niggles, like yelling at the kids, getting frustrated, feeling overwhelmed, feeling like there's no space to think. So I'd love to know from you what has been transformative for you? What has been a skill or a practice that started to open up that opportunity for a little bit more headspace? So number one is meditation. That was the really the biggest thing for me early on I, I mean I guess the therapy like speaking to someone telling someone what was going on and not feeling like I was the only crazy one especially with that difficult challenging friendship that I had like I thought I was mad I thought I was a bad person I thought there was something wrong with me turns out like most people have had a challenging relationship in their life at some point but I honestly remember thinking I was such a bad person and I'm, there must be something wrong with me and I am terrible if I've got this thing going on so Seeing a therapist talking about that, understanding and knowing that it wasn't just me was, you know, amazing. And then meditation was the next really critical and crucial and influential tool. And it still is. Like I still meditate twice a day now. I've been committed to that for six or seven years now. And it just because a lot of the time the struggle is people say, oh, you've just got to become aware of your thoughts, you know, like the big part of the well-being and understanding yourself and going inwards is like understanding your thoughts and getting clear on, you know, that you are not your thoughts. But the challenging part is to recognise your thoughts and to catch your thoughts and to become aware of them. So what meditation does is, is it, tool, it gives us that tool to really separate our true self from our thoughts and to have that awareness of the thoughts that are serving us and the thoughts that aren't and then learn and have the ability then to be able to respond to the situations and the thoughts rather than react to them. And so it's just an awesome tool. I, I love it for that. And it's just, it's definitely, it helps with, it's helped me so much. Like I'm so much more calm and just, you know, no, I rarely get stressed now, which is just amazing. I never feel busy. People say, oh, you're so busy. You've got so much on. And I'm like, I don't feel busy. I'm just, I feel great. You know, like I really feel like it's all easy. And Again, like it didn't go from stressed out, crazy, busy, overwhelmed, yelling at the kids, maniac overnight. Like it just it gets better and better and better over time, you know, and that and that is 
and you know continuing with the meditation practice and there's a there's other things now as well but i would say that is the the number one thing that's helped me so much from the beginning i love that meditation has created a space for you to separate a bit of a separation between what's happening and how you're making meaning of it and how you can work with it so i'd love for you to share with listeners how did you get started back when you were in that yelling overwhelmed like i'm guessing that just two minutes would have felt almost out of reach to sit quietly. So how did you get to that point where you sat down and you were still? How did you get there? (laughs) Yeah, so you are spot on. Like at the start, people were like, you should meditate. You need to do five minutes. I was like, five minutes? I haven't got five minutes. I can't sit still for five minutes. You have to be kidding. I honestly remember thinking there is no way that I could find five minutes in my day to sit still and do nothing. Like just no way. But I was like, all right, I, I, you know, and it's like those things, you get the little seeds sown, you hear about it, and then all, then eventually you're like, oh, maybe I should give that a go. When enough people tell you and you're kind of at this point, you're like, well, I've got to try these things. I've got to try something. I'm, I'm at this point. So I was like, all right, I will. I'll, give, I'll just try five minutes. And so what I would do is I would do it first thing in the morning because I thought that's the only time I'm going to be able to do it. So I'd get up a little bit earlier before the kids, literally just five minutes, and I would sit in our walk-in wardrobe and I would just sit there for five minutes and all I would do was count my breath for five minutes because that was the easiest thing that someone had said to me, when you're getting started, just try that. And so that is how I started, just five minutes and t- counting my breaths in and out, for t- you know, in in for one, out for two, up to ten, five minutes. That was it. And then I started to get a bit like a little bit curious, like, oh, okay, well, what else could I do and what else could I learn here? And then I started doing the Deepak Chopra and Oprah meditations, which were a bit longer, but they were guided and I loved his voice. Um, Deepak's voice is just so soothing. And, you know, tried different little apps and different little things and bits and bobs. And then once I'd been doing it, probably I think I think it must be typical of me too. I was like, well, now I really need to do this properly. Like I'm into this now, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to go, go whole hog. <laughs> so, so then I went and learned the actual Vedic technique um it's it's transcendental meditation Vedic meditation same thing and I learned the actual being technique which is self-guided with a mantra and you just do it yourself and then that once I learned that I was off that you know then it became a daily practice and I was really committed and then it's just been part of my life ever since but like anything Meg like, like you and I always talk about you have to start small do not think that you're going to go straight into meditating twice a day for 20 minutes because it, it just won't happen it's unachievable to start at that point. So you've got to start small and build up like any other thing you would try, running a marathon, getting fit. You've got to start small, five, ten minutes and build it up. And, yeah, that's I think that's why it worked for me and it's been over the long haul. Oh, I absolutely love how you share that because I know for myself meditation has been something that I've flirted with, I've committed, I've uncommitted, I've flirted with again and being friends with you, it's been really inspirational to see that it is a non-negotiable. It's just something Mm. that you do. And I remember in one of the lockdowns, I was doing all of my normal practices and I still needed another gear. Like I just needed something else. I'm like, well, may as well do this meditation. You know, Katrina does it twice a day for 20 minutes. I'll give it a go. And, And I started in the morning and it really has made a significant difference. And the funny thing is, I realized that what was stopping me from a meditation practice is I didn't have a plan. I didn't know where I was actually going to get up in the morning and go because I didn't want to wake up the whole house. And so what I did is 
put a chair in the walk-in wardrobe, you know. And so sometimes it's literally like preparing ourselves so we know where to go, how long we're going to do it, and just doing it. And that practice was so um, life-giving at that time because I had energy and I had space. And I must admit I've fallen off the wagon now and this conversation has inspired me to get back in that, get back in that wardrobe just five minutes and reconnect again because it's a practice and like anything it's like fitness you know some of us go through phases where we're feeling really fit and strong and before you know it you haven't done anything for a while it's like all righty I've got to try again knowing that every time we try again it just gets easier Mm-hmm. Yes, that's exactly right. And this is what I think where a lot of people go wrong when they try to implement a new habit or a new practice or make a change is they don't have a plan or a strategy and so they're just like, right, that's it, tomorrow I'm starting that diet, which we don't, diets don't work, we know that, but it, that's what people think. Um, tomorrow I'm starting a health kick, tomorrow I'm starting, you know, my new business, tomorrow I'm going to do this and then they go, right, that's it. And they try to use their willpower and that works. That holds them for a couple of days, maybe three, maybe a week if you're lucky. The willpower gets you through and then the wheels fall off because, you know, our brain kicks in and says, no, that's not what we do. Let's just go back to our, you know, subconscious programming and how we always do things. Stick with that. It's easy. And we don't have a plan to get through that messy bit where our brain starts to tell us, no, don't keep going. Go back to what you know is safe. So, You've got to have a plan and a strategy and absolutely and set yourself up for success as much as possible. And, you know, like I always tell people they want to start doing a morning routine, get your clothes out the night before, you know, get yourself set up, know what you're going to do, have the plan. It just makes such a difference to that. Yeah, having the plan, starting small, building up over time with a long-term strategy in mind, not just I'm going to change my life tomorrow because that does not work. We know that. It's not sustainable. <laughs> Absolutely. And how many people have got to a Sunday afternoon and thought, that's it, Monday, new food, new me, new exercise, we're on here, and then got to Tuesday afternoon and like, well, I stuffed that. Where's the chips? <laughs> yeah, and that's it. I may as well give up because I had a bit of cake or I had the packet of chips, so it's all things ruined. I'm back to square one. Forget it. Oh, you're hopeless, you're useless, and the shame cycle begins and just, oh, don't even bother. <laughs> Yeah, then we wait a few more days and we're back to Sunday. Right, where's that planner? Let's go again. So I'd love for you to share how can we bust through this unhelpful cycle of all or nothing when it comes to our well-being? Yeah, well, self-compassion is, first of all, is like first and foremost, like you you and I always talk about, Meg, because you uh, self-compassion, then awareness, then learning what you need to learn to be able to, you know, to actually make change, then self-compassion again when it doesn't work, and then starting again and having a strategy and a long-term plan. But self-compassion first because knowing that, awesome, if you want to make change and you want to start on a wellbeing journey and you want to do something for you, great, fantastic. You've got that awareness, you want to make change, and then you make the decision to do it. You need to put your plan in place, but even if you have a plan, like you were saying with your meditation, even the best plans, you will revert back without a doubt. You, your brain will try to take you back to where you were before you started. So just got to be ready for that. And that's when the self-compassion piece really kicks in. Okay, cool. I ate the cake. No worries. As you would say, make right choice. That's it. I've ruined the whole thing. It's a disaster. I've that's it, you know, like, so the, the all or nothing mentality is not helpful at all. Like it's, and it doesn't have to be like that. It's small, incremental, 
daily habit changes for the long term that make the difference. And what is it they always say? Oh, you, we we overestimate what we can achieve in twelve months and underestimate what we can achieve in ten years or something. I don't know how it works, but we basically always have this setting ourselves up for like thinking that we can change the world tomorrow, but not actually realizing that it's the long term change and it's the it's the beauty of the creation and the journey. And I know it's so cliche, but it really is the journey over time that leads to the well, that is the goodness. Like it's not the outcome, it's not the destination. It really, you really want to be like the journey and the day-to-day is the goodness and the greatness and and you know it's the it's the getting there that is the fun part and and it's not this overnight I'm going to be fantastic tomorrow so and then if I'm not I'm a failure and it's and, and this is this boom and bust cycle that we all go through so starting small realizing it's for the long term and thinking about that long term change and the, and the and the journey rather than the destination which I know is so cliche but it's so so important <laughs> and it is so true it's when we go on this path to become more aware of our thoughts our feelings our behaviors our impact in the world we're inviting more power into our lives we're getting into the driver's seat of our lives and really taking control of where we're going and what we're doing and how we're showing up. So how powerful is it to give yourself that space to feel strong, to feel well, to have the headspace to move beyond the yelling, the frustration, the resentment, and make conscious choices moving forward? And then I get really excited to think about, imagine what it would be like if our students were taught Mm. the art of self-compassion, you know, if the adults Mm. around them were giving themselves compassion because we know that when we're more compassionate, we're much more likely to succeed, to keep at our goals because we're not hammering ourselves with a stick and we're not being harsh and critical and blaming, that we're just gently encouraging, like, you missed that one, let's go again. You know, we mm. just go again. We just keep showing up and keep working hard. And I'd love to know from you, how important do you think a morning routine is? Mm. So, for me, it's everything. So there's lots of different trades on uh, trades on this. I guess some of the people now, like really should be because really I advocate for on my love is there should be no shoulds. It's just whatever lights you up, you know, whatever you enjoy. So like whatever makes you feel good, that's what I want to do. So that's great. But also when you have kids. So if you're a mother or if you've got a family or if, you you know, if you're, if you're remote learning and homeschooling and working from home and all those sorts of things, there's not a lot of space in the day for personal development, for self-care, for all that sort of stuff. So having a morning routine can be just so precious and so valuable and just so amazing. If you can manage to get yourself up even just half an hour before the kids, you know, it's this special sacred time because now a lot of the times in the evenings you you know I mean yes you might watch a bit of Netflix but that's not really nurturing your soul I mean it is if it's a bit of downtime then you do need a bit of that as well but this morning time can be really focused for meditation for a bit of exercise for a bit of journaling for really key self-development personal development activities that just over time again it's just over time just build up to making you feel better more prepared for the life, for the day ready to face the challenges that come whatever comes that day so for me it's been just you know so so powerful and I love it and I get up at five and do all the things and I just it's just such a sacred time for me and I love it so so much so 
Yeah, so I, I mean, I can't. I think it's fantastic, but I think you've got to figure out for you what works for you. If you can find other time in the day to do your personal development, your meditation, and do some journaling, and maybe it's at the end of the day for you. But I just know that it's like anything. What do they say? Eat the worm, eat eat the frog, eat the frog. <laughs> you know, eat the frog first. I actually don't even know what that means, but that's what they say. So do the hard stuff first. I think is what it means. I'm not sure why that relates to eating the frog, but. Um, so do the hard bit first because if you think, oh, I'll just, I'll, you know, you know what it's like, I'll do an exercise at the end of the day or I'll, I'll meditate later, I'll journal later, and then it gets to the end of the day and you're exhausted and, oh, I can't be bothered. Whereas if you just get up, get it done, it's like win, you know, and you're on the right foot and off you go. So for me, and I can't recommend it highly enough, <laughs> I love it. Oh, absolutely. And I love that you've given people the opportunity to really think about what works for them. Is it a morning? Is it lunchtime? Is it in the evening, really start to carve out space in your day for to stop, to think, to reconnect because so much of our life is at the whim of other people's needs. You know, I feel like our time, our energy, our resources are constantly going out and so creating some pockets of the day where we can think about what is it that I need in this moment? What is it my body needs? What is it my mind needs? And then taking responsibility to make that happen because I know that that's something that you're really passionate about is about inviting people to become responsible on this process of change. Mm, Massively. I've been thinking about this so much lately because I think, I guess because there's so much struggle, on the one hand we kind of normalise that and in our quest to kind of, I guess, not push people too far and, you know, to try to be empathetic, we almost accept survival mode and struggle and we're sort of settling for that, you know, and we normalise that. But so we have to accept that, yes, struggle and life is hard and there's all these things that are really challenging. But we also have to say if we want it to change and we actually want to do the things in life we want to do, then it's up to us. Nobody else will change your life. No one else is going to do it for you and it's not until you actually take radical responsibility for everything in your life that things really change. And I think we do not normalise that enough. And we just, we, it's so easy to get into victim and blame and every, if it's everyone else's fault that we feel like this and and, and that's normalised, you know. We, 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 we fit in when we complain about our lives. We fit in when we complain about our husbands. We fit in when we complain about being tired all the time. Um, we fit in when we're not fit and we can complain about our weight and it's just like that's how we fit in. So to actually challenge that status quo and go, well, hang on a minute, it doesn't have to be like this. I can change my life. I can take responsibility. It's on the one hand the most confronting thing because it's like, holy cow, it's all up to me. On the other hand, the most empowering thing because you're like, holy cow, it's all up to me. <laughs> you know, And it just... It is it is the thing. It's the most important thing if you want to improve your life, if you want to make change, if you want to, you know, live the life that you desire, that lights you up, that makes you feel good, to be the mother that you want to be, to be the partner that you want to be, to, ha- to do the things, create the business, live the life, it's all up to you. And that's what we need to be really embracing, you know, and, and, and supporting people with because it's okay to know, oh, it's up to me. But if you don't have support, if you don't have knowledge, if you don't have skills, 
and you know, like we often talk about, Meg, the people around you, then it's really hard. So we've got to normalise that we don't know how to do it, but we're going to learn. You know, it's my responsibility. I can I can do this if I want to, and now where can I go and learn how to do this? And that's why in conversations like this and the work that you and I do is so so important because it's showing people that there is another way. It doesn't have to be struggle, suffering, all hard. It, it gets to be good. On an upward trajectory is what I say. Like it's it's going to be up and down, but we want it to be heading upwards and, you know, start through that taking responsibility 100%. Yes, that old saying, if it's to be, it's up to me. No one else yes. can do these simple practices. You know, we always talk about the battery, sleep, movement, nourishment, rest and connection and their choices that we make every single day no one can do that for us and it comes to that responsibility piece and I know that you also love the above and below the line so I'd love you to share just a little bit about that framework of above and below the line and really encouraging and inviting people to play above the line yes so we love we do love this one and I think this is where it just resonates with me so much because this is about taking responsibility. So if you think about it, you've got the line and below the line you're in bed, which is blame, excuses and denial. So if you're, below, if you're playing below the line, you're in bed. You know, you're lying down flat and you're all in blame, like victimhood's another word to use there, just, you know, and no kind of, well, and then if you're above the line, you are, you, it's or is the um, acronym and you're rowing, you know, you're rowing, you've got, really got it together you're like taking ownership you're accountable and you're responsible for how you're showing up in your life and that's where we want to be sitting you know we want to be sitting above the line rowing you know taking on life taking on the challenges taking responsibility and showing up in a way that yeah we 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 are taking ownership for how we show up and it's that's where that's the only place to be as far as i can see like in terms if you want to really live that big full life that we so desire because otherwise we're just lying down in bed expecting things to change, it's not going to happen because, you know, it, that's where lying down in bed gets you nowhere. So it's such a beautiful little um, analogy, I guess, or a way of describing where we really want to be aiming for and playing above that line. And that goes for relationships, in your business, in your work, in your community. Aiming to be above that line is so, so important for sure. And I think of that quote, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So if you're doing the same thing over and over again, maybe it's time for you to step up, take some accountability and think about what you could do differently. What conscious choice can you make to improve the way that you're feeling, functioning and relating to others? Because it really is up to you to make this happen. And I love what you say about that community, that support. You know, I definitely wouldn't be in this place where I am now without my cheerleaders, my support. I'm so fortunate, friends, family, mentors, therapists, coaches, you know, you name it. I've got like this <laughs> massive support crew and it wouldn't happen without that support. So I'd love you to tell us a little bit about how support has helped you thrive. Oh, massively. I mean, it's, <laughs> I am someone that has always really drawn on my resources in terms of mostly people um, and I always, you know, I'm never afraid to really ask for help, I guess, um, except when I was in, I guess, living unconsciously and didn't even know I needed help, of course, but once I realised that I did and 
and that's built up more and more, more over time. I've got such, and I'm really, the other thing is I'm really selective about who I give my time to now, like super selective. <laughs> and sometimes that means letting some friendships and relationships just sort of, you know, drift off. It doesn't mean you necessarily have to have a big breakup unless you need that, but you really want to be actively surrounding yourself with people who support you, lift you up, help you, make you feel good who don't judge others, who aren't doing all those things that don't make you feel good. And that's that's a really conscious choice. They say um, you become the five people that you spend the most time with. Uh, and actually I saw Todd Sampson on that TV show last night. He was saying like neurologically you actually do morph into the people that you watch and see the most. You know, Like in our brains that's what happens. So it's super, super important to be actually curating the people that you spend the most time with. And then, yeah, so – support for me I and mean, you and I chat every week and that is just such a joy to me and has helped me and supported me so much and I've got coaches I've done courses I've got therapists the same as you like such a big support network of people that I draw on to support my journey and to learn from because that's the other part of it once you do decide to take responsibility and ownership you have to learn the skills and the tools then and yes you can do the basics and then you need to know what if, if you're still finding the basics really hard then why what else can I do how can I get the basics right? Learn the skills, learn the tools, get the knowledge that you need because it is out there, but it's you've got to be willing to kind of draw on it and actually committed to learning and growing from it. And, and that's, you know, basically, as I said, dedicated my life now to doing that, to learning and growing. And that's my hobby. So I love Absolutely. It. <laughs> I, I can pretty much safely say that Katrina has done most online courses uh, that are available. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that might have almost slipped into addiction, actually, Meg, and we've had to, like, pull back on that, but we're working on that one. At yeah, least we're it's sort of a that. healthy addiction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's adaptive in a sense that it's bringing lots of purpose and meaning. I can think of a lot of other things that you could have addictions to which aren't so adaptive and helpful to you and others. And, you know, exactly. I'd love to share on this podcast the reason why I am doing this podcast is because I've seen you go before me. You've got your incredible pod- podcast, A Rural Rockstar, and I've been a guest on it and it just has lit me up seeing you forge this path forward and then seeing you do it, I thought, oh, well, maybe I could do it. I could do a podcast. And that's the beauty of stepping up and showing up who we are because we just never know who is inspired by our actions. Mm. Exactly. And it's like we always say, you have to see it to be it as well, you know, so you've got to see the examples of people doing it. And, and that's why, again, this work that we do is so important. And what I hope to show women is, you can live a good life. You can enjoy life. You can find joy in life. You can be the role model that you want to be for your kids. You can learn and grow and you can do it all. It is possible. And so that's why hopefully, yeah, the work that we do and what we're showing is that it is possible for people because, yes, unless they can see examples of it, if, 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 if all we're seeing is people who aren't loving life, who are struggling all the time, then that's, of course, what we think is normal. So, Yes, Meg, we've absolutely got to show the examples and see what's possible and, and you for me as well. Like it's very much a reciprocal relationship in terms of that and we build and grow together. It's just so lovely. And it gets me so excited about the future because imagine schools, systems, communities, if we're in that cycle of growing and learning together. Oh, I have to tell you, Meg, this is just this is what just has been lighting me up over the last couple of days. So yesterday... This is this is exactly right. Like sharing the example and showing what's possible. Yesterday, Daisy started a self care, a fifteen day self care challenge, which I just was like, yes, I love this so much. And she set up like a whole self care corner, and it's just it's just so awesome. 
And then last night, like my youngest, Poppy was telling me how she's been a bit stressed the last couple of days, like really not enjoying the remote learning and struggling a bit. She's like, Mum, tomorrow morning, I think I'm going to get up and have a shower early and then I'm going to do some yoga. (laughs) And I was just like, oh, I can just like just the fact that, you know, them seeing me and and normalising, A, recognising when you're not feeling great and being like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling a bit crappy. And then B, all right, how am I going to shift this? And they're doing this at the age of like seven and 12. And I was like, oh, imagine, imagine it. Like that is just what it's all about to me. I was like, this is, I'm so grateful, so glad that I am giving my children this gift of being able to do this work at this age. It was just so good. Oh, it's remarkable. You know, maybe in the future we won't need the School of Wellbeing because it'll be a part of, you know, our practice and what we do. And I would just love to know from you, Katrina, if there's someone listening to this podcast that's thinking, you know what, I'm in a pretty shitty spot. I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. I'm completely reactive. I'm scrolling. I'm yelling. I'm reaching for sugar, like just in that complete spin cycle of overwhelm and avoidance, avoidance of doing the things that they need to do to make them feel good. What advice do you have for them? Okay, so number one, (laughs) like we always say, you're human. This is totally normal, totally understandable. Like validate how you're feeling. You know, of course, it's completely understandable to be feeling this way now. Like the languishing words been getting around a lot, especially at the moment. And just normalize that and accept that and be like, okay, yep, this is how I'm feeling. This is not a nice way to feel. This is crappy. And like, this is what I always try to talk about to people now. Yes, it's okay to feel all the feels, to feel down, to feel you know, like you're masking things and like you're not feeling good, then end, end. What am I going to do about it? How can I shift? What's the next right move for me? You know, how can I start to maybe surround myself with people who I might be able to learn from? Or what's what can I do next? Like what's one little step? What's something that's achievable? Yes, we can, and you and I always talk about the battery and we love the battery, but, you know, that might even seem overwhelming at the start. So what's one little part of the battery that I could focus on? Could I just, you know, drink a bit more water tomorrow and get to bed a bit earlier? You know, what's could I just go for a walk? What is one little simple thing, one right move in the in a in a you know in a forward moving direction that can shift what I'm thinking? But the first thing is normalize, take a deep breath and go self compassion, and even that in itself is a whole thing like understanding what self compassion is. But basically, just being kind to yourself, give yourself a break, and then what's the next right move for me? What is the next right thing that I can do and taking it really easily and really you know just one small step at a time but how can I take responsibility for the next thing to do and then you know we can go down the path then of you know like once you kind of realize keep going you know do you evaluate it more and, and normalize it oh my gosh I'm not right and I need to do something about it it's okay to not be okay what am I going to do next you know I don't have to stay like this how can I shift it with the next right thing or next one small thing in the right direction. And I think that's where to start. I love that opportunity for people to just stop, acknowledge, yep, life's really pretty crappy, self-compassion and understanding, and then what's the next best move? You know, that is just golden advice. You're a rock star, Katrina Myers. (laughs) I'm working on being a rock star and, and creating a whole world of rock stars (laughs) oh yeah well you're definitely creating a world of rock stars and I'm definitely um up there one of your biggest fans so just to wrap things up 
I've got a little activity for you to do. Would you like to participate? Absolutely. And so I've got four questions, but they're not questions as such. There's more four sentence starters, and I'll invite you to finish them. Cool. So question number one is I am inspired by? You. I'm inspired by you and other incredible women doing life-changing things. (laughs) (laughs) Question number two, when life feels hard? Take a deep breath and think about, what the next right move is. Love it. And number three, an underrated skill is? Definitely meditation. (laughs) Is that underrated, do you think? (laughs) Well, I don't know. Not by me. (laughs) Not by you. I think it's highly rated by you, but maybe it's underrated by the world. Um, And our fourth and final uh, little sentence is, I am looking forward to. Oh. I am looking forward to travelling next year. We have a big year off trip planned and I am really looking forward to it. I'm so excited about it. Katrina Myers, thank you so much for being a guest on the School of Wellbeing podcast. You're an absolute trailblazer and I admire your energy, your openness and just your sense of fun in this world. And I think it's so important for, for us to see people who are enjoying life, who are moving beyond the thriving Uh, moving beyond the surviving mindset and thriving. So thank you for everything you do in the world and thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much, Meg. It was just, as always, just such a joy to speak with you. So thank you so much. See you later. Bye. What a rural rock star. I could chat to Katrina all day and I'm so inspired by the work she does in the world all while raising four children on a farm. As you can tell from the conversation, Katrina certainly walks her talk. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to stop and take a moment to think about the following two questions. Number one, from this conversation, what is one thing you want to remember? What is your pearl? And number two, What is one action you can take in the next 24 hours to support your well-being? In the coming months, I'm going to be offering a range of well-being masterclasses to give you the opportunity to connect, share, laugh and learn with other big-hearted humans that are all trying to juggle all the things. The first workshop is Break the Cycle of Busy and I'm going to show you how to break the habit of busy so you can cultivate more headspace and joy in your life. If you're looking for a wellbeing speaker for your next event or staff professional development day, please reach out. I love to share wellbeing education that makes sense with a range of audiences. I would love to hear from you. What is your pearl? What are you learning from these conversations? Connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. To support the show, please rate and review on iTunes and share with your family, friends, and colleagues. If every listener shared with just one other person, we can create a huge ripple effect of people that know how to feel good and have the courage to do it. All the links from this episode will be in the show notes. Thank you for listening to an episode of the School of Wellbeing. This episode was proudly brought to you by Open Mind Education. Open Mind Education is committed to sharing wellbeing education that makes sense. To learn more, visit the website openmindeducation.com. There you can sign up for the free five-step energy guide to help boost your energy so you can better navigate the ups and downs of life. 
Thank you for listening and I look forward to sharing more lessons in the School of Wellbeing next week. 